Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from the communities across the state to your city's square. With your host, Mickey Shields, the Assistant Director of Membership Services at the Iowa League of Cities, and Bethany Cryle, the League's Communication Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. Hey, Bethany. Hey, Mickey. Welcome to The Square. You ready for another podcast? I sure am. Episode 5, our November episode. Yes, right. No deadline. No uh, deadline to worry about here, Ryan. (laughs) I'm kind of pushing it. We are. Last week of the month. How was your Thanksgiving? It It was good. How was yours? You guys traveled, right? Yeah, I just went to uh, my mom's and my wife's parents. So I was sitting in Cedar Rapids and okay. got to do all the fun stuff with the, the family and yeah. enjoyed all I don't, that. I don't know if it's okay to share this on the podcast, but I ran into your daughter and she was uh, super excited that her dad let her have chocolate milk at yeah, Thanksgiving. The simple so. pleasures when you're four years old. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So uh, yeah, you definitely made made her Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. <laughs> How about you? Travel a little bit? We did. We went to my parents, which is up near Iowa Falls Highway 20. We had done uh, Muscatine Thanksgiving a couple a couple of weeks ago. So we hit both families, but not both on the same weekend, which is yeah. which was nice, especially since we got some icky weather. Yeah, I almost got hit by that. Somehow it was a crazy in Des Moines. We had nothing. Yes. And then just 10, 15 miles south of here, they had six, seven, eight inches of snow. Yeah, Ryan yeah. was telling me that I was saying that my son had been looking out the window just. Wanting snow. Can't, yes. could, couldn't wait to shovel the driveway. And Ryan was like, he could come to my house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had promised sledding. Oh, no. <laughs> well, for sure, this would finally, finally be the time. Hopefully, the chocolate milk made up for it. Yeah, we'll see. So <laughs> what are we talking about today? Well, I see that we're, we're talking with Jim Thompson today from the Iowa Economic Development Authority? Agency? Authority. Authority. Okay. Correct. They've changed their name a couple of times, so <laughs> let's do that. I don't think part anyone over. can blame let's you. Let's do that part over. <laughs> uh, but before that, we should probably talk a little bit about what's going on at the league. We should. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We're right in the middle of our budget workshops, and those are always a big uh, series for us and the attendees. We get a whole bunch of attendees. A lot of cities are doing their budgets right now, so that's why we do the workshops in no- November and December. So, which two locations do you have left in December? We still need to go to Fairfield and then actually stay here in the Des Moines area in Johnston. Perfect. So we've gone to other four other locations and all across the state. And it's always great to see so many people. The, the travel is fun. I always <laughs> say that with a smile. Uh, but it is, it's a great event for our members. A lot of people come out, and I think they appreciate the information. We certainly appreciate their engagement. We learn from them as much as they learn from us. Yeah, it's good to see people in person. Yep. We're also getting ready for our 2019 Legislative Day, yes. which will be February 19th here in Des Moines, as always. Yeah, and we're kind of updating the format of that, so with some speakers and, and all of that kind right. of Right. I think there's going to be some educational components to that in addition to the opportunity to come to Des Moines, go to the Capitol, meet your legislators, and right. And the league's what's help, up. The league's willing to help set up those appointments with legislators and stuff, too, Absolutely. like always. So so keep an eye out for that. Um, as we always say on the podcast and pretty much everywhere we go, if you haven't signed up for League Weekly, that yes. is what you need to do to stay in touch and stay informed, everything that's going on with the league and stuff that's important to cities. So that uh, Legislative Day event will certainly post information to League yep. Weekly and our website um, as we the agenda is set. Yeah. 
We're another, also, oh, go ahead. Another fun thing is the upcoming golf outing. Yes. If, if you're down about the, the November, December weather. <laughs> start planning to, for golf. Start planning for golf in June. You and I. Yeah, is it June 14th, I believe, if yes. memory serves? Yes. Yes, we'll be uh, at Otter Creek Golf Course in Ankeny again. Mm-hmm. Really look, looking forward to that. It's our primary fundraiser uh, that the league puts on to support the Tim Shields Endowment, uh, which was created after my father actually passed away some years ago. Uh, to support education uh, for city officials. So it's a really cool event and a cool uh, fundraiser. And then the thing that we're doing this year that we didn't do last year is we're going to include a bags tournament. Yeah, and for those of you who are from southern Iowa, that would be a (laughs) cornhole tournament. (laughs) We debated internally, so you all know out there, how do we label this? I call it bags, but others call it cornhole. So we're going with bags. I think that's the (laughs) Iowa nomenclature for now. We'll see. But that is going to be uh, part of it. So if you don't play golf, which is fine, you can come out and play bags, spend some time out there, mm-hmm. network with a lot of cool people, um, have a beverage or two, play some bags, play some golf, whatever. Yeah. And then the whole time you can help raise funds for an important cause. Right. For sure. But before that, we have the Nuisance Abatement Conference. Yes. That's second year for That'll that? Be the second year, yeah. May 15th, I believe. All this stuff's going to be on our website, so if I'm wrong about the dates, just check, check our website. You but should email us at the square and let us know that Mickey right. was wrong. It doesn't happen I, very often. I would love to be corrected via email. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that'll be May 15th. Uh, we'll be in Coralville this year. We're going to move the location around a little bit each year with that event. It's a one-day event, full day of training on nuisance abatement, which, of course, is important to all cities out there. And with that full day, we can cover everything from the basics to the advanced. Mm-hmm. So we talk about the city codes you should have on nuisance properties, enforcement procedures, how to acquire properties that have uh, gotten into a derelict and abandoned status, and all of the little things that go along with that. So it's a really important event, uh, and we get a ton of interest in it, as you can imagine. This sold out last year, so we you did. definitely want to be subscribed to Leak Weekly so yeah. that you know when registration opens for that. Yes, we did have right to away. cap it, and I imagine we'll be in the same situation mm-hmm. year after year with this, given the interest. So definitely keep your eyes out for that. It's open to all city officials. We last year got a lot of elected officials. We got a lot of city managers, city clerks, but also it was great for us was that uh, we got a lot of zoning officials, code enforcement people. Yeah, a lot of people who don't come to our other staff. That's right. It was good to see new people. And then another thing happened right after that will be our small city workshops, 2019 Mm -hmm. small city workshops. And those will be held in six locations around the state in the first three weeks of June. We have not yet decided our topic. Um, but we'll, it's always good. It's always you don't good. need to it's know the topic to, obviously, to make yeah. plans to attend. <laughs> It'll be relevant to small cities, um, as the name implies, and uh, we're going out to a lot of towns and offering some education. And looking forward to that as always. Awesome. Well, should we dive into our conversation with Jim? Yes, a couple a couple more notes though before oh, we. Man. I know you're eager to talk to I Jim. Am. We have a couple things we need to cover. There's still a little bit of time left for cities to do their home rule proclamations. I know this will be, well, about a month left in the calendar year when this podcast rolls out. And we're trying to get every single city out there to do a home rule proclamation. All the information is on our website. Yes. And you can just, we have a sample proclamation for you to use. Your mayor can do it. Send it in to us, please, when you're yes. done with that mailbox at iowaleague.org. Yes. Last week, the league, or earlier this month, the league staff took some time to call all of the cities that we didn't know of that had, had signed a proclamation 
Um, and we got a lot of people who said, oh, I did that back in May or, mm-hmm. or whatever, and they just hadn't sent them in. So definitely be sure to send them in to us. Although we, we don't mind talking to you. But. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's always that's the best part of our job. But, um, but definitely please send those in. We're right. trying to keep track. And one other thing, we wanted to mention Grant Finder, which mm-hmm. is a program that cities can use to search for grants and track grant opportunities. It's something that's a league partnership through the National League of Cities that we've uh, put together to help our members get some grant searching done. Right. And it's, we talk to cities big and small all the time on how a lot of, it's, there's a lot of struggle just finding grants, period. And this is one of the best systems that we have found that really f- focuses in on grants that are available to city governments. So it's available through the league, $50 per year. It's super cheap. Uh, if you did not have the, through, if you did, if you try to get grandfather through yourself as a city, not going through the league's partnership, this pro, this system would cost about eleven hundred dollars. Wow! So it's an incredible savings for something that's a really robust system. I've uh, tried to been I've tried to track grants uh, for years, and this is the best one I've used. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely recommend cities to check that out. Awesome. Anything else before we roll into that conversation that I'm so excited for? Well, I would also say <laughs> it's not too soon to check your uh, September 2019 calendars. Reserve a spot there for the annual conference. Yes, we're in Dubuque this year, September 25th through the 27th in Dubuque. Always a great time, beautiful location, yeah. and we already have a lot of fun stuff planned, actually. That's right. So Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and we come back. We're going to be talking to Jim Thompson mm-hmm. from the IEDA. He's a very interesting individual. He's worked for a city doing economic development work now at the IEDA. He works with a lot of cities around the state, helping them get development work done in their communities. Perfect. It's great to uh, have Jim Thompson from the IEDA in our office Mm -hmm. to do this uh, interview. Jim's uh, somebody I've worked with on all kinds of stuff over the years. He's a strong advocate for cities. He's got a city background, city government background. Uh, So Jim, it's great to have you here. And um, can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and how you got involved with city government, economic development, the IEDA, the whole story. (laughs) Thank you. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, It's kind of interesting when I think about um, how I've got to this place. Um, I was born in Clarinda in southwest Iowa. I graduated just uh, high school just north of there in in Griswold, just south Mm -hmm. of Atlantic. And and really didn't have a great connection to Des Moines or state government. I'm of an age where um, all three of our antenna TV channels all came from Omaha. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, we seem to have more of a connection to Nebraska sometimes than we did to Iowa. And then um, got into uh, retail with hardware. I worked for True Value Hardware for uh, 15 years. And and really enjoyed that. My last 10 years of doing retail, um, we lived in Charles City, Iowa. We lived there for 25 years. Um, my family, uh, both boys grew up there and graduated from high school and really loved the community and that part of the state. It's a beautiful part of the state. And and my last 10 years, um, I was asked to be on the city council. It was kind of a fun story. Um, I was in Rotary and working on a Sun Arbor project at our public pool with the mayor. And he's 70 years old and we're 14 feet off the ground. And (laughs) and we got done and I just had a blast doing that and said, you know, mayor, if there's ever a chance that I could be considered for the park board or something like that, um, I love this place. 
and I yeah. want to make it a better place for my family, and I'd like you to consider me. Two weeks later, I was sworn into the city council. <laughs> so 10 years doing that really brought me to a different place. Um, uh, we did that at a time where before we had a city administrator. Mm -hmm. So my first five years was no city administrator. My last half was with one, and I advocated for the position. Yeah. Um, so my first half, I was charged with uh, departments like public safety and economic development, and I knew nothing about public <laughs> <Right>. safety. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and But economic development was really one that um, I loved, and we had, we created the first city county TIF district wow. in Iowa with Bob Justin and Dorsey Whitney and and really love that process and it's still in effect today and Amazing. and Amazing. enjoyed some of the process with that and and I was at the end of my career on the city council I was asked to be the main street director mm -hmm. and love that kind of community development work and so started working in that arena and because of my background in city government, I, I really knew a whole lot about some of the initiatives that the city wanted to do, sure, yeah, but wasn't always shared to all these groups that were getting things done. And so now I was playing in a role where I could make all that happen. Yeah. And um, fast forward, um, 11 years ago, the state had allocation to hire an FTE for um, economic development in the downtown resource center. So. I'm with the uh, Iowa Economic Development Authority and the Community Development Division in the Downtown Resource Center working with Main Street towns yeah. and love it. That's great. So that takes you out to a lot of cities across the state that need assistance in some fashion, redeveloping their downtown, revitalization projects. So in your role there, what do you, what do, you do every day with these cities? What kind of projects are you looking at? What kind of assistance do they need? What kind of funding? All that stuff that goes into it. Sure, it's, it's amazing. Um, it's awkward for me. When I have an office day, I generally have to tell a town no. Right. So I'm busy all the time. Yeah. I could be somewhere, um, and I run across you, Mickey, all over the yeah, state. Yeah. So it's really kind of fun to see that. But towns are struggling. They're trying to figure out um, how do we save ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, especially in rural Iowa. We're losing population every year. And trying to figure out how can we do the things necessary to work together with all these entities. Partnerships are key to saving a town. Yeah. Well, recently I was working with a town, small rural town. It gained population, excuse me, gained employment for 10 straight years. So Amazing. new jobs, and it's wonderful. Right. In that same 10-year period, they lost population every year. If you don't focus on what it takes to choose your town to live in, yeah. you're gonna lose population. Those amenities are so important and, mm -hmm. and you have to talk to your citizens. So elected officials, it's, it's really frustrating in my world. I see a lot of elected officials get elected, um, sometimes with an ax to grind right. or an agenda. Yes. And then they find out this is a whole lot bigger job than I realized. Mm -hmm. You know, and we've got to do things for all citizens. Yep. And part of that is making a town that people want to live in. Mm -hmm. And so you work where you have to. You live where you choose to. Yeah. We have to figure out how to coach Iowa towns to be that community of choice. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of amenities 
recreation, jobs, appropriate housing, all those things add to this. Mm-hmm. And so if, you're, if your population is aging every year, and I, I love that. We're all healthier. We're living sure. longer. Yeah. yeah. My mom's 86. Yeah. You know? Keep going. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's <laughs> awesome. trying to be very active. So how do we make a, a community that's very active, but yet when they're stuck living in their same single family detached house, mm-hmm. and in my mom's situation, it's not a safe environment. So we were able to get her in an age-appropriate house that's handicap accessible, and her home was then available for a new family. Right. And it, we're not saying kick your mom out of house. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody we're wants saying, to say that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but we're saying it, if it's not appropriate, let's get you into an age-appropriate house and make the amenities necessary to make it safe. Because mm-hmm. we don't all have to end up in a nursing home right away. Right. <laughs> Independent living is critical, I think. Mm-hmm. And if you want to develop towns... I think having that independent, senior, appropriate housing is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, we've all that live here know that some of these struggles are happening in our, especially our rural communities. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done at the League of Cities. It's something that's on our radar. And we want to partner with folks like IEDA to help these cities find ways into the future. And so uh, I think when we come back, we're going to take a short break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the programming that's available at IEDA uh, that you work on and you're part of that cities can participate in and hopefully get some solutions. We're here with the Your Questions Answered segment, and this month's question comes from Dylan Mulfinger and Owine. So, Mickey, your question is, what is the difference between a city administrator and a city manager? So that is a excellent question from a very astute city administrator. I was like, he is a city administrator, so I <laughs> hope he already knows the answer. <laughs> he probably does, <laughs> and I know he studied this, so I'm sure he's asking to help uh, educate our listeners because it is actually a pretty tricky question. And I would start with, it all, it all starts with the state code and your form of government. And the, the reason I say that, there's, I think, two forms of government in Iowa that are called the council manager uh, form of government. There's two different types of that, but basically in those forms of government, the manager position is laid out. The responsibilities, the authorities, and so forth are all granted to the, man- uh, to the manager, city manager, right there in state code. So there's only a handful of cities that have that form of government. For them, it's all dependent upon the state code. Now, for the vast majority of cities, we, they utilize what is called the mayor-council form of government. And under that form of government, the city manager is not created automatically in state code. But because we have a home rule uh, provision in Iowa, we are allowed, our cities are allowed to create positions as they see fit to carry out the needs of the community and deliver services to the citizens. And so many of them um, create a city manager or city administrator position and then they give those positions certain duties as they deem necessary. I would say in traditionally speaking, the difference between a city manager and a city uh, city manager and a city administrator was a city manager position was giving full was given full hiring uh, authority, termination authority of over employees. They would oversee pretty much all employees, all departments, all services, all operations. And in a city administrator position, it was sort of a modified situation where, they may not oversee every single position. They may oversee a handful of departments, whereas the council and mayor would still have some management of certain positions in certain departments. 
So that was traditionally how the difference uh, existed. Over time, that's kind of been become blended, and it's really for many cities that operate under that mayor council form. Some of them label it city manager. Some of them label it city administrator. For the most part, they do the same thing. And so uh, I think as the years have gone by, there's not that much difference anymore for the cities that operate under mayor council form of government. What it really comes down to is checking your city code, checking your job descriptions, and understanding what authorities, what responsibilities, what duties have been assigned to that position. And so then you'd is, really understand. So this is really about just great communication between... Well, yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> always a, uh, something that cities should strive for. And I, it's something that we do at the League of Cities. We try to help educate uh, new council members with our Municipal Leadership Academy and uh, our magazine Cityscape and other resources to help them understand how this whole thing works. I mean, if you're a new council member, a new mayor, and you just got elected, you don't know what a city manager does right. every day you may, or a city administrator. You're, you're still trying to get your feet wet. And for that matter, other city staff and the public, they right. don't always know these things. So it's a lot of communication, a lot of education uh, to get everybody on the same page. Right. Well, thanks for your answer, Mickey. It's always my pleasure. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll head back into our interview with Jim. So we're back with Jim Thompson from the IEDA, and we were just talking about some of the struggles that communities have. Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about how the programs that you work with and some of the ways that you help cities through those challenges? Sure. Thank you, Bethany. Um, I guess, number one, I'm a grant administrator for a brand new program last fiscal year. It's called the Community Catalyst Building Remediation Program. It was a fun program to work with because the legislature worked with Debbie Durham and said, these towns are calling and complaining. They're having a tough time. They have underutilized properties and they're trying to figure out how can we fix them up. Right. And there was something happened that I love in my career. So Debbie came down and talked to us at the Downtown Resource Center and said, here's a program that we want to fund. The legislature's ready to do this. What would it look like? That's never happened. <laughs> so we were allowed to, to write the administrative rules. Mm -hmm. Debbie agreed and, and the legislature the, the director, agreed. Right? Yeah, Debbie Durham's our yep. director. Right. And nobody works harder in the state of Iowa than Debbie Durham. Yeah. Okay, I just <laughs> oh, yeah. want to say. Um, so she listened to us. And then the legislature listened to us and created a program that said, okay, you've got underutilized buildings. They need remediation. So underutilized might mean vacant. Mm -hmm. It might mean just underutilized. Um, but it could be a good building. It just needs to be utilized in a better fashion. The bones are there. Right. You know, the good bones are there, but it's just not really performing. And mm -hmm. the city is not getting a return on investment for that property. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you think about tax base, Schools generally get the highest percentage of our consolidated levy. Right. Cities are second, counties are third. When it's underperforming, we're truly hurting our schools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you love your school system, why wouldn't you improve a downtown building? They're generally in a zero property line development area, mm -hmm. so everything you invest in that brick and mortar improves the value of that building. Mm -hmm. So Community Catalyst was... It's a grant that requires the city to be the applicant. 
you can apply for up to $100,000, and it's a grant. So it's cool. We had 18 projects uh, last fiscal year and 18 that were approved. All but three of those had housing components mm -hmm. to them. Wow. Which is, of course, a critical issue in it's our state. Housing is critical. If mm -hmm. you want to do anything with population, you better be concentrating on households. They have to, yeah, some, they have to live somewhere, right? <laughs> I, I love it. I had a mayor say, why are we talking about housing when we should be talking about jobs? <laughs> and it's like, jobs are great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But if we don't housing, if we don't have the housing for people to live in, they're going to live in the community that they choose and they just drive back and forth. Right. We get zero tax base for that, for mm -hmm. that community. So yeah. it's like, okay, so how can we do that? Mm -hmm. And so the grant is really a way to partner city government. It can be a city-owned building, but in most cases, it's a private owner. Mm -hmm. We said cities... You have to be the applicant, but you also have to have skin in the game. So it can be things like cash that they're getting from tax increment financing or general fund. Sure. Or it can be abatement from consolidated um, urban revitalization zones because of the housing component. Right. Which is really cool. And it, you're abating the increase in value from all of the improved. Mm -hmm. So you're retaining the original base. Right which we love that program, probably the best program I've seen for housing in forever, yeah. okay? Yeah. And, and so, but the other component for cities is it can be in-kind. So if you're cash-strapped, find ways to bring partners to the table and also bring in-kind. Mm -hmm. So if there are ways for you to allow maybe um, not charging them the full rate on water deposits. Sure. Or if you have a municipal utility, is there a way for you to participate? We're just saying bring as many partners to the table yep. and layer the financing. Um, we fondly call that lasagna financing. <laughs> <laughs> and bring it to the table and as many partners as we can bring in, mm -hmm. it helps your scoring. It's yeah. all about broad-based community support. Yeah. What's the best way to demonstrate that is everybody working together. That's right. Yeah, for these, for these communities to thrive and build and grow, it's going to take collaboration. It's going to take partnerships. The city government's a big part of that. And I know this is a League of Cities podcast and many of our listeners are city officials. But I would say you have to get others into the room. You have to get them to the table to be part of it. That's what's going to make you survive and then thrive. We talked about that in the All-Star episode, how no no project really that we see as successful is a city project in itself. All it by all, itself, it, right. You always have to have partners to, right. to make something yeah, a success. Yeah, it could be your local business folks, the chamber, mm -hmm. could be school folks, could be county folks, all of the above. Some projects get, the, you get a ton of people in the room. That can be hard to sort out everybody's needs and the funding, the lasagna funding, but it's well worth it. And yep. I think with folks like Jim helping out, you can get it done. Yeah. Sure. So talk about also, you mentioned uh, before that uh, there's a, a program that can help us when a city has gone through an emergency of some sort, that they can get some hands-on sure. some help. Um, the Community Catalyst has an interesting provision. It, it allows for uh, communities that have had a disaster, right. generally a natural disaster. Um, so if there's fire, um, and it happens, if there's a tornado, what unfortunately hit Marshalltown, mm -hmm. um, those buildings can qualify for an emergency grant under uh, the Community Catalyst Program. 
uh, what it takes. The application period is open all 12 months of the year. So there's no, no application period. And that's different than the normal program, community college Correct. Program, it's correct? different than the normal round, mm -hmm. okay? But it's open year-round. So you can apply. So what I would hope is, um, so in Anamosa, they mm -hmm. had a fire in a downtown building. Right. My phone rang, and they said, Jim, we don't know what to do. And it was like, let's talk through what happened with that. So it was occupied, post-fire, completely vacant with smoke and water and fire damage. The total building was vacant downtown. And we were able to work through a process to help them, guide them through the pre-application process and ultimately the full application process to get them a grant for $100,000 to assist that building. Wow. So it's now yeah. in, under construction right now. Parts of the building are going to be occupied very, very soon. And we're excited about that because yeah. now a completely underutilized building is going to get the remediation it needs. That's fantastic. And I'm sure incredibly important for that community to get a rebound like that. Well, it becomes one of those attitude adjustments that towns need. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get down in the dumps and, and feel sorry for yourself. It's really sad when those things happen. Sure. Okay. But it's also can really gather all these partners together and say, look, if we work together, we can fix ourselves. And that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that can have a, like a snowball effect in the whole community, too. It sure. really can. I, some, of the, some of the projects that I think about, so the smallest project was in Clearfield, Iowa. Less than 400 people live in there. Yeah. Here's this building that's been vacant for 10, 20 years. Wow. Okay? They're going to have businesses on the first floor. They already have them signed up. They're going to have apartments upstairs. And what really was cool with us, two things. One, they're looking for partnerships. Their local service club, the Lions Club, agreed to assist financially with that project. We haven't had a service club do that. Huh. Now, if you know about Clearfield, Iowa, if you've ever gone to the Iowa State Fair, they run the shuttle service there. Oh, yeah. So everybody should know them, yeah. but they're actually stepping up and giving back to their community. And isn't that cool? Yeah. The other thing they did is not just apartments, but there were room for four apartments in this building. So two of them are going to be monthly rentals. The other two are going to be nightly, like an Airbnb kind okay. of an approach. Yeah. They don't have any other place to stay there. Sure. Yeah. And we love the flexibility because mm -hmm. whatever works, we don't care if they're nightly right. <laughs> or monthly. Yeah. Let's just get them occupied. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really a cool opportunity. Yeah. That's great. Um, I think we have one more thing we wanted to get into with you. A, a lot of great work you've done traveled the state extensively, worked with a ton of cities, big and small, all parts of the state. What would be a couple things, maybe one or two things that you would tell a city, whether they're struggling or not, but if they're trying to think about downtown revitalization, improving their development work in some fashion, housing, whatever the case may be, what are one or two things you tell them, here's what you need to do to get things started in the right way? From a city stack aspect, I, I think it comes down to planning and planning for your priorities. Yeah. So every year, cities go through a budget process. They certify their budget, and then they say, okay, Jim, will you come and help us with strategic planning? <laughs> and I say, absolutely not. Yeah. You 
you already set your budget. Right. So if you're going to do strategic planning, your priorities always get funded. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. You find a way to mm -hmm. pay for things that are important to you. Mm -hmm. So if you could start that planning process sooner yep. and then have your budget reflect your priorities, I have never worked with a town that said, this is important to me, but we're not going to fund it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's really number one to me is really making sure that we're engaged with where we want to go. Mm -hmm. The second piece is, is really knowing what you need to know as a community. It's really hard when we're working with towns and they don't even know what they don't know. And there are partners all over the state that want to help. Yeah. And if you don't have a connection or know a little bit about some of those programs and access to those folks, we want to help. But we can only help if we're asked. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a huge challenge. And it, uh, frankly, it's one of, the, the, one of our jobs here at the League of yes. Cities to help inform our cities of those opportunities. It's a continual challenge. You know there's new council members come on, new staff come on. And there's a lot of turnover at times, but it's something that if a city is interested in growing their community, it doesn't always mean that you're going to be a big, huge development like you may see in some of our state, some of our communities. But it, it all it could mean simply that we're going to plan for the next 50 years, so we're going to be uh, vibrant. We're going to have the amenities that we need, so we retain our our current population, maybe attract a few others, make sure we're taking care of the, all those needs to be the community, community we want to be. Um, it's, a, it's a continual challenge, but. Well, and I, I was recently working with the town of Lenox, and I really like it. The stars are kind of aligning in Lenox. They have some major employers, PPI and Michael's Foods, that are mm -hmm. really wanting to employ people. They'd hire people if they could get them, okay? Sure. And so the development corporation there partnered with the city to say, we have to improve a building downtown that will allow economic growth mm -hmm. and housing. And so they applied. They got a $100,000 grant. They're going to have a brand new Mexican restaurant coming to town. They have a woodworker that's going to operate the other half of the downstairs. They're going to have four apartments upstairs that now, because they're all working together, mm -hmm. they can grow their population. Wouldn't it be cool now? if workforce housing became a priority for everybody. Right. Right. I work with companies that say I'd hire people if they'd walk through the door, but I don't know how to approach them. Mm -hmm. Well, housing has to be a priority. Workforce development and housing just tie hand in hand. Absolutely. You cannot do one without the other yeah. unless you're willing to encourage people just to drive further. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's so much good insight, and we really appreciate you joining the podcast. And I would encourage any cities out there, any of our listeners, to contact Jim uh, for any guidance, uh, certainly the IEDA programs, but also just anything you need. I think Jim's experience working for cities, working for IEDA, can help you out in a lot of different ways. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hey, I think we're ready for our Get to Know Your League segment. Mm -hmm. And this is one of our favorite things to do. So you all get out there, all listeners get to meet uh, our league staff and get to know them a little bit better. And this month we're talking to Tim Kiergan, who is the marketing director for... Marketing manager. Marketing he manager. just got a promotion. Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, everybody. 
Uh, so for IMWCA, the Iowa Municipalities Workers Compensation Association, mm-hmm. long name, great, uh, great organization. And we'll let Tim kind of explain what, what that all means. But uh, first of all, Tim, give us a little background. Where did you grow up? Uh, go to school? How'd you get here in sure. Iowa? All that good stuff. That, uh, well, how much time do we have? It's, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I told this story to my nephew, uh, who's at the U in, in Minneapolis, and he was... Uh, he just sat there for about a half hour. He couldn't believe some of the, <laughs> I'd been kind of all over the place, but uh, I was born in Hannibal, Missouri and grew up in Mexico, Missouri and uh, spent my childhood there and uh, went to college at Central Missouri State University. So do you and play cornhole or do you play bags? Do I? I play uh, bags. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Right. This has been an ongoing discussion right? here. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I, I, cor- yeah, I'm a bags. I think bags is probably more politically correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, didn't anyway, mean, didn't yeah. interrupt. No, that's uh, so. Uh, and I took a, a job with a small insurance carrier out of Kansas, and they transferred me to Bettendorf, Iowa. And yeah. I had only been to Iowa a couple of times in my <laughs> life, and really didn't know much about it. And that was. 30 years ago, if you can believe that, mm-hmm. and uh, got transferred. Our company was seven months later, got sold, and I got transferred to Des Moines. And uh, I thought, well, I'll check this out and try this out. And uh, I met Monica Tritton. Yeah. And she's from Albert Lee, Minnesota, and, and uh, that is my wife. And so uh, I never left. <laughs> and I love it. And I don't, I don't think I'd want to live anywhere else. I've had a wonderful experience. We have two adult children, and so uh, uh, it's a great place to raise a family and great, great place to live. And, and uh, you know, just weird how things work out, but I'm very happy. Yeah. yeah. So you joined the league via IMWCA about 10 years ago. And tell us a little bit about what you do sure. for IMWCA. Yep. Kurt Savalstead, the former director, uh, recruited me and hired me to come in. IMWCA is a self-funded workers' compensation program, as hopefully uh, some of the listeners know. And... Uh, insurance carriers have field reps and IMWCA had had been operating for 20 years without really anybody in the field and so uh, the the IMWCA board and thought it was important to have a a representation in the field and so they they created my position and I was very fortunate to get this position and so uh, so now I call on independent agents and call on membership and uh, just Time flies. It's been over 10 years yeah, now, so it's yeah. crazy. Can you tell our listeners, some of the folks may not know, like how IMWCA got created, the reason for it, what it provides to, sure. to cities? Sure. So if you've heard me speak before, you know this probably, but in the late 70s, a group of mayors got together. Uh, there was an insurance crisis, particularly with workers' compensation. Uh, coverage wasn't available, and if it was available, it wasn't really affordable. Mm-hmm. So the league and other leagues across the country were kind of forced into get into the insurance industry and the workers' compensation insurance industry. So we were formed out of necessity. So we wrote uh, our first member in 1981, and we've been going ever since. And I, I think about those lean years and how it must have been. Hmm. But... Uh, Today, the organization is doing uh, great. We have about 375 cities, uh, and we have uh, 79 counties as well and yeah. other governmental entities. And so uh, we're doing uh, very strong, financially strong, and things are great. Yeah. And I think 
beyond the growth, which is really critical and important that, that that is available to cities and counties, is that the safety has improved. Yeah, you know, uh, we're nonprofit. We don't have shareholders. And, and if you talk to our staff and our people, uh, you know, our mantra at the, is at the end of the day, everybody gets home safe. And if everybody gets home safe, then the financials and the loss ratios and all the business side of things are going to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. So IMWCA is very uh, heavy in loss control, but not heavy handed, I would say. And we have uh, a, a team of experts that have, uh, they've, as Ed Morrison would say, they've walked, we've walked the walk. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I like to say our claims, claims folks and our loss control folks, they mm -hmm. speak the language of city officials and city employees, and they know the different operations that that cities and counties have, and and that's huge. When the the working relationships are great because yeah. of that. So, so in your work, you, know, you travel around, you met a lot of folks out there, a lot of different cities and counties and other governmental units that IMWCA covers. What do you uh, what do you like most about that work, and what are some of the challenges that you see? Yeah, the, 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 what I like about it, it's easy. We're helping people. And, you know, again, it, it's back to that foundation. We want to help everybody get home safe at the mm -hmm. end of the day. And how can we do things safer uh, and yet be efficient? Mm -hmm. And so we take a lot of, of, of stock into the, in that. And uh, that's kind of what guides us. Uh, you know, we want to help folks. And, and uh, if you go, uh, if you approach it that way, uh, most, if not all, uh, city and county officials that we meet with, they very much appreciate that. And, and of course, then then the byproduct of that is we're going to save them some money. Budgets yeah. are tight. Uh, this is you know times are tough, so to speak. And so uh, it's more money that the cities have uh, to spend on other things. We don't we don't want it. If, you know, we yeah, just want right. to get rate for risk type things. So mm -hmm. um, some of the challenges are just. Uh, getting getting folks to buy in i yeah. guess it takes time mm -hmm. and you have to build you know you have to build their trust and right. and they have to know that we're there to help them and they you know once we can help them understand that and that we're not so much for profit or then then it works out great and we've got uh super support from our membership and a lot of uh folks that that would you know would I'm losing my train of thought. Here. Um, just vouch, for, you know, just recommend us, or sure. so it's 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 a good thing. Yeah. So what do you do? It's clear that you're very passionate about what you do, which I know because we work together regularly. But what do you do when you're not in the office yeah. or on the road? Yeah. Um, folks may know or may not know. I I still try to be athletic. Uh, Father Time is catching up <laughs> to us <laughs> but, all. Uh, to us all, yeah. yeah. But uh, it seems to be a little uh, fast forwarding on me some some <laughs> days. Um, in the we're in the winter time, so uh, I'm in an adult hockey league. I actually play in two leagues. I play down at Wells Fargo Arena a few times a, uh, uh, throughout the year, and then I play at Bucks Arena on every Wednesday night. So that's yeah. my that's my night. So if you're if you can't find me at the office, you can always come to the rink on Wednesday nights. I'm usually there, and uh, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, Your kids play too, right? And then I play, and so our two adult kids are both. Uh, I've got uh, Ryan is uh, 26 and Eric is 24, and they're both on the team. They both played all through their childhood, and so uh, 
Yeah, do they show you a, up or do you they, show oh, them up? Uh, without question. And they let me know it too. When I'm not, <laughs> you know, if I'm not skating hard or I make a bad pass, they mm-hmm. razz me pretty good. But we have a lot of fun. We keep perspective. We know there's no scouts in the stands, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, and it's great exercise and something I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So and and in the summertime, I still play men's baseball too. So mm-hmm. uh, so that's catcher, right? I still catch. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I only played a about innings. a dozen games this year, <laughs> which was just about enough for me. But, yeah, a lot, lot of innings. A lot of foul balls, too, yeah, it seems yeah. like. Well, my son's into baseball, and I want to make him a catcher because I was always taught that they, that's the best position on the field. It's the toughest position on the field. Unfortunately, in my baseball career, I was left-handed, so I, got, <laughs> I had a hall pass from having to be a catcher. Yeah. I don't yeah. think many people want to do that. I love it. I, you know, you see the whole field. You, you really are kind of managing the game defensively, at least. And so, uh, it, it, and that I found that that's helped me, you know, through life too. You, mm-hmm. You're, uh, you know, you're, you got to kind of, you, you're a pitcher, so you would know. I mean, you got to be, you got to handle that pitcher different, differently <laughs> than you would uh, anybody oh, yeah. else when you're talking to them, and got to kind of help. Are them, pitchers help a little through. temperamental? Oh, are you? Are yeah. you? Uh, a little, little, you could do a little, little moody segment on that. <laughs> yeah, you don't I feel like go I'm learning a lot about screaming. Mickey in this <laughs> segment about Tim. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's a lot of pressure with the guy with the ball in his hand. Uh, you know, hey, so. yeah, he's on that island all by himself. <laughs> That's so right. Or, or in the circle at softball, and you got to, right. absolutely, you got to, you got to help him, help him out. That's so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll leave the last question to you then. Yeah, we had on one baseball. last question that was. Uh, really important for us to ask. And that was, what was your favorite part about the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016? <laughs> well, I'm a Cardinal fan. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, I guess the best part is, that, you know, just, I don't even. I wanna, <laughs> He's speechless. Gonna, well, he was got, so excited. He's speechless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're off the ledge. How about that? I didn't want to get too graphic there. But, you know, we, you know, that. <laughs> Most Cup fans are nice people, but they're just a little blinded that, you know, so they got to, they. Are you also talking about Mickey now? Well, I'm it, a White Sox fan. He's a White Sox fan. <laughs> just as hard on me as I, I would just, uh, uh, to my, to my Cub friends, I just remind them the score is 11 to 3. That's what's going to ask you next. So it's 11 World Series championships for their cards. It's 11 to 3. So, Amazing. yep, yep. They, they got have, a little work to do. So they've, yep. And, and, <laughs> and, um, you know, all of my in-laws are Twins fans. I got to remind them it's 11 to 2. And I've got <laughs> my sister lives in Kansas City. And I got to remind those folks that it's 11 to 2, I think, yeah, oh, down my. there too. So, wow. But, uh, no, it's all fun. You know, baseball's sure. great. It's full of life lessons. And so, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, I gotta watch out. My son, growing up in Des Moines, oh. this is a Cubs town for You're the most part, and he's got buddies around the neighborhood are all Cubs, and I'm just he's gonna trying to buy him White Sox here, and he's kind of. <laughs> Wants to see the Cubs. You like, guys oh. are both have young. You're in charge of their education. I'm <laughs> yeah. telling you, all parts of it, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks, Tim. Really appreciate you coming in, joining the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. As always, we will wrap up with some trivia. And last month, we asked, what is the only county in Iowa with two county seats, and what are those cities? Bethany, can you... uh... I do. Well, my father-in-law is from this area of the state, and he uh, answered this question right off the bat when he (laughs) listened to the podcast. So it is Lee County, and the cities are Fort Madison and Keokuk. Nailed it. So, yeah. 
So are we ready for next month's I trivia? Think so. Okay, so next month, the question is, or this month, and we'll answer it next month, the question is, which job or position in a city is required by the Code of Iowa? So which city person do you have to have, according to the state code? And we'll answer that next month. And That's right. Yeah. You can send in your answers and questions, uh, any other comments you have for us to the square at iowaleague.org. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back in December with another podcast. Until then, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. See you at the square. <laughs>